We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store, even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Welcome to the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Derek Van Riper here with DJ Trainer Nick Whalen off today in the Big Apple, in the big city. He's been a couple times, I feel like, in the last two months, and he'd never been there before prior to this year. Yeah, he's going with a buddy. It's just like a vacation, I guess, and I know his buddy has never been there, so he's like, quote-unquote, the expert, even oh though he's only ever spent like two days there. Yeah, that's that's going to be very interesting. Uh, as, as many people are about to learn for the first time, uh, Waylon has what I would describe as a very interesting and perhaps like underdeveloped palate when it comes to food. Um, he's not picky. He just doesn't really branch out. Like he just chooses to keep it kind of in one lane. Uh, a lot of chicken patties in Waylon's diet. Uh, he'll he'll go eat McDonald's food, which I I don't think I've eaten in like five years, and I probably will never eat it again unless I'm starving in the middle of the night somewhere and can only get their food. Uh, so what he does food wise in New York, it, it would probably upset you and I. Like most likely, he he will make decisions food wise there 
that would make us both just completely fall apart and would like ruin our trip. But he'll be content with that. And I guess there's there's something to be said for that kind of simplicity. You know what? Making fun of Waylon with you or any other co-host is always my favorite part of any podcast I'm on. So let me be clear here. Let's just yeah do a deep dive. We go way back. Longtime listeners will know of the the fuzzy hair jacket. Oh uh, man, the jacket. Yeah, yeah, the jacket situation. I got in trouble with my wife for yeah. making fun of him so much about it. But <laughs> Waylon has the the furry hood lined winter jacket. I mean, being in Madison, you do need winter jackets. I'm I'm not the don't wear a jacket in the winter guy. I'm not that guy at all. But it looks like a lady's jacket. My wife has the longer version of it. Same fur on the hood. Just goes like past the waist. It's like the same like a North Face jacket. And Waylon walks in one day and he has the hood on and I'm like, dude, what what happened? I figured like he borrowed it from some girl. Like I'm just like, oh, like some girl stayed over and you couldn't find your coat. And that's not it at all. He's like, no, it's, it's style. Like I, my mom and I picked it out. And I was like, you serious? Like this is this is the thing. And yeah, that's actually Waylon's winter coat. Um, but the the food stuff. I mean, we, we go to a Mexican place nearby pretty much every Thursday. We've been going every Thursday for a couple of years. It feels like now. And it's a good place, especially for Madison. Like, Madison has some pretty limited Mexican food options. This place is legitimately good. Waylon gets French fries. Not every time, but sometimes. And then, what does he dip them in? I don't think he even uses ketchup, does he? It's something else. I forget what he was dipping them in one day. It was some odd side. Well, here's here, one time he told me he confided me, and the, this is, we love making fun of Waylon. He's like probably the most likable guy in the office, but he's just so easily, you know, he can make. He doesn't watch movies. Who doesn't watch? Doesn't movies? watch anything. He told me one day that he didn't have, you know, his dinner was French fries dipped in mashed potatoes. <laughs> that's that's a Waylon move. Yeah, the, the liquid liquefied version of the same food dipped into itself oh i know what he did he took limes people got tacos he grabbed little lime wedges that come with like pork and chicken tacos grabbed those and was squeezing those over his fries like hey i got some extra lime you guys want some some lime like for for what like i already have some here and he's just like oh i i just i like it on my fries you want to try some of these lime fries and i'm just like what on earth is happening here like lime and potato they don't go together it's it's not my first my first combo, but I, I'd be into it. I'd try it. Uh, not not at a Mexican restaurant. It's got to be some other odd circumstances. Maybe at a, a gastro pub or something like that. Oh, we'll, we'll save the Whalen takedown for a different episode, or Hope- just create an entirely new podcast where we just you know rail on him for thirty minutes. There'd be a lot of ripping on Two Chains and Young Buck and some of the terrible rappers that he's into too. But if you like this podcast and uh, you want to leave us a rating or review, we'd greatly appreciate that. If you take a few minutes to do that, it goes a long way on iTunes and Stitcher uh, to help us get more attention on this podcast. And more attention ultimately keeps the podcast running in the long run. So thanks in advance if you've done that already. And thanks in advance if you're about to do that as you listen right now. Uh, some big headlines to get to here on this Thursday. The Cowboys revealing that Ezekiel Elliott has a hamstring injury and he is going to miss some time, which is just vague. My diagnosis based on their vague update they've provided is that it's probably some kind of minor strain, like a one to two week sort of injury. Uh, Alfred Morris and Darius Jackson are going to pick up extra reps because Darren McFadden is hurt as well. I think this is going to be fine. Ultimately, I think we could see him back perhaps maybe even for the first preseason game, even if he missed the first one, as long as he's back by the second one. 
I don't really see this as any sort of reason to adjust rankings for Zeke Elliott. If you like him as a top 10 overall player or a top three back or wherever you have him right now, I think you leave him there as long as this doesn't last until the second or third week of preseason games. If it lingers that long, then you have to start to worry about the early season workload, the availability perhaps even for week one. But I don't think we're anywhere near that level just yet. Yeah, I I wouldn't be worried about it. I would argue that Elliot might be the most polarizing player so far. Maybe Allen Robinson is somebody else. I think you either love Elliot and you'll draft him, you know, somewhere in the middle of the first round or something like that, or you won't at all. Like, I, for me, I'm staying away. I hate taking rookies in all fantasy. I know I take a lot of flack from in-house. I just stay away from rookies altogether in, in all sports, just because I like to know. I like to have, you know, a game log or a database of work that I can at least expect and try to piecemeal my team together. I don't like a lot of unknown variables. Of course, he's stepping into maybe the best possible situation possible being in having the O-line of the Cowboys. But I, I wasn't going to draft Elliott to begin with, and this just further solidifies me not drafting him. And I don't think it's going to change. There's not a lot of middle ground with him. You either like him or hate him. Or, well, or don't like him, I should say. I, I think the, the tricky thing is that he's going so early in drafts that if you, if you don't like him a lot, you're not going to get him because someone in the room will take him end of round one early round two and that's going to be that but i i guess i understand the the core reasoning for the no rookies but why a rigid policy why why not more of a hey i'm going to look at each player look at the situation i mean acknowledging that dallas's offensive line is still one of the premier offensive lines in the league jason garrett wants a run heavy offense with a healthy tony romo this team should put up a lot of points with that a guy like Zeke Elliott can get a lot of carries in the red zone. I mean, do you look at that situation and then have extra worry about Alfred Morris poaching some goal line carries when healthy and be Darren McFadden being used as a third down back as a pass catching option? Like what specific concerns do you have that go beyond the I don't like rookies? Because that feels like a Whalen thing. Oh, no, don't you dare say that. It does, though. It's, it's that kind of it's like that sort of quirk where I'm like, why like i mean like generally sure not overpaying for rookies is something i'm on board with because sometimes the price just gets ridiculous and people always want to get the flashy new toys as as scott pianowski calls them where it's like oh okay well this year i just i just want josh doxson because i want a rookie receiver that's a stupid reason but if you think josh doxson is going to be highly productive because you like the washington offense and the setup of that division and you think talent wise he's maybe the most talented receiver now on that depth chart then it makes sense to go after him if the price is fair. Yeah. First of all, you're not the first person to confront me about this. When we were in Vegas, I talked to Luke Hoover, NFL writer for us here at Rotowire, and he got like physically like upset with me. That he's, I just, he's a big guy. You don't want to upset no, Luke Hoover. Guy. I, I backed off too. I was like, oh, maybe I'll consider drafting a rookie. Luke, don't, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. <laughs> don't break me in half. Don't break me in half. I'll, I'll draft Elliot, I promise. But I, I don't know. I think for me, I haven't done any research or analysis on this. It's just kind of just one guy's opinion. Of course, that's what podcasts and what we do for a living. But I think in the long run, if you just avoid rookies, you don't get burned. And I think you just come out, if you just do a hard, fast policy, you're not going to get burned over the long haul. Obviously, there's going to be your David Johnsons. There's going to be your Todd Gurley's. But altogether, I think that they can really burn you more so than maybe a veteran who just loses carries to somebody else later on in the season or gets an injury or something like that. It's more of like a long con for me. Like I'll go case by case basis. And I, I, 
in all honesty with Elliot, I think a, a backfield of McFadden, Morris, and Dunbar is already like a pretty good backfield to begin with. And so if Elliot falters, I mean, he was at Ohio State and they have all he hits all the best, most athletic teammates he ever could have hoped for going up against other Big Ten teams that just don't stack up. I have to see it against real competition and having such viable backups in McFadden and Morris. Those two guys are, are a good backfield tandem by themselves. So I would be legitimately afraid that Elliott could slide down not just one or two spots, but maybe three spots on the depth chart by the end of the season if he just is not up to speed, if he just doesn't, I mean, blocking, I mean, blocking techniques for passing, maybe he's just not hitting holes, maybe he's not athletic as we thought he was because this is a whole new, another level of talent. Yeah, I just don't have those concerns. I mean, pass protection and things like that matter, like for sure. That's, that's the one facet of his game that you have to see it at the NFL level before you know it's there. I mean, you can scout it. You can watch it on video. You can see blitz pickups against players that are going to be NFL players. But to get that repeatedly, yeah, it takes a few weeks to make sure a guy can do it. As far as his ability as a runner, he's got the breakaway speed. He's got the power. He's got the vision. I think he just has everything you're looking for in a running back. And it, I don't know if he's at the same level as Todd Gurley as far as being a prospect of that caliber, but if he's not, he's very, very close. So he just looks like a special player who happened to land in an outstanding situation. Yeah, it, it's all fair. I mean, I certainly can be wrong in the end, but I just, I'm just going to avoid him for now, and I'd rather take uh, somebody I can rely on um, that I've seen in the past. I know we got a question come on, coming up against Odell Beckham, and I even kind of go into like the two-year or three-year situation. So this this philosophy for me doesn't just only apply to rookies. It does kind of linger into two-year players or three-year players as well. All right. Well, with Odell Beckham, we're seeing things that no receiver's ever done before in terms of the statistical performance through these first two years. Uh, over 90 catches in each season, over 1,300 yards in both seasons, even though he's missed a game last year and then he missed four as a rookie back in 2014. Uh, over nine yards per target both times. We're talking about a guy that gets a huge number of big plays. 35 of his catches in two seasons have gone for 20 or more yards. 14 have gone for 40 or more yards. And this is a guy who's hauled in 187 passes during that span. When you look at Beckham and you look at someone like Antonio Brown, if you're at the top of the board, you got first overall pick, maybe it's the second overall pick and someone takes Julio, if you're left with that choice between Beckham and Antonio Brown, let's assume a half-point PPR league uh, to offset the volume a little bit, which one would you actually take, given the choice? I'm going to go Brown, and like I said, this philosophy carries over for me. Um, you know, I just kind of assert it where I want to, but if you look at Brown, he has three straight seasons of playing in 16 games. That means a whole lot to me. Now, obviously, Beckham is arguably the best wide receiver. He might end up being far and away the best wide receiver this coming year, too, but I just feel more comfortable going with somebody like Brown, who I can rely on. Yes, Beckham is going to be amazing. He's going to put up good stats, but we do have two years to go on where he played 12 games and 15 games. Obviously last year he remained pretty much healthy and this little injury thing he's got going on working on the side. Not, not concerned about it at all, just like Elliot. Thinking back to the rookies and young players overall concept and looking back at last year, I mean, Melvin Gordon was a big disappointment. And when you evaluated him last year, he was just inside the top 50 overall in terms of ADP. So much cheaper than someone like Ezekiel Elliott is going for right now. But at the same time, as much as I actually liked Gordon as a prospect, Elliott is a better one by a significant margin. Uh, we saw Amir Abdullah last year uh, picked in the top 50. 
I think he was disappointing as well for that price point. There were a lot of other backs getting touches in Detroit, so that made things more complicated. Amari Cooper had a lot of success in year one. If you took him right inside the top 50, I think you were okay with that. Uh, Gurley was going in the top 60 because of the injury. TJ Yeldon, even with volume, wasn't good. He was a top 60 pick a year ago. Nelson Aguilar was awful. I mean, awful for what people were paying for him inside the top 75. Tevin Coleman got hurt in week one, could have had the job, could have been Devontae Freeman, essentially. I mean, the Falcons thought he was better than Devontae Freeman in week one of last year, and Coleman was a rookie. Because Coleman got hurt, Freeman had that early season breakout, kind of kept the job. Coleman became more of a role player after that. And you go through the rest of these guys, I mean, you see in the 100 to 150 range, Duke Johnson, Brashad Perriman, David Cobb, Devontae Parker, Kevin White, Doriel Green-Beckham. Finally, you get David Johnson at pick 150. It's entirely possible that you look at last year's class. Jameis Winston, by the way, barely inside the top 200. He was actually a good pick as a rookie quarterback. And Marcus Mariota has set up a lot better this year, too. So I think you'll see bigger things from him. It may have just been a bad class of rookie players last year in particular. Now, I realize there is a reasonably high bust rate. I think it's just because the market fails to set expectations appropriately we kind of have like a pie-in-the-sky projection that we slap on rookies expecting that they're going to immediately be the players that are going to be two or three years into their career. Yeah, I think there's like this whimsical fascination with rookies that you know maybe they could step in and do something just amazing, something that's never been done before because they haven't had an opportunity to play in the NFL. You know who the poster child is for this philosophy, at least for me, is Monty Ball. I mean, he was top 10 ADP last year or in 2014. And I mean, so many people got busted on that. Turns out, he can't protect. He couldn't protect Peyton Manning. Peyton Manning didn't want to have him next to him, protecting his back or his blind side. And who knows? Like that could be the same thing going on with Ezekiel Elliott. You're not going to say at the first days of training camp, "Oh man, this rookie cannot block to save his life." Uh, I mean, th- those problems don't really get exposed until uh, after all drafts have taken place. And so, for me, the bust rate I think is just far too high. I think you come out statistically on top when it's all said and done, if you just make a hard, fast rule to just stay away from rookies altogether. You know, you you look at Monty Ball, though. He was a player that shouldn't have been playing ahead of Melvin Gordon during his final years at Wisconsin. Melvin Gordon was a better player than Monty Ball at Wisconsin, and because Brett Bielema didn't ever realize that or acknowledge it by adjusting the workloads accordingly, I think that only led to more hype with Ball. And clearly, there's some other stuff going on with Monty Ball that we didn't know about. That is, he's just had some off-field problems that are really kind of surprising based on what we thought he was going to be as an NFL player. Part of the appeal with Monty Ball, though, was kind of like the Elliott situation in that it was a great setup. But again, prospect-wise, Ball would be, to me, a lesser prospect than Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon, a lesser prospect than Todd Gurley. And that's in somewhere in between those two, closer to Gurley is where I have Elliott. So it's it's still a matter of placing these guys correctly. And that's why in, in baseball, you have the 20 to 80 scouting scale, right? Like all prospects get graded on this curve and you kind of have the present tools graded against the future tools. And you might say, okay, this prospect's a 60, this guy's a 50, you know, and with that, the scale kind of correlates to what those uh, roles look like in the long term. So, you know, a 70 might be a perennial all-star. A 50 is a big league regular for a first division team. A 45 is um, like a like a three to four day a week type player. And when you look at the different levels that way, it's a little easier to compare players year over year as prospects. We don't really have that, at least as a, as a 
well-known scale. Maybe the NFL teams have things they use individually, but there's, so. there's not a commonly used one that overlaps and, and kind of gets into the public sphere either. Yeah, I think to be fair, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, so we can go back and look at all these rookies, but we really truly have to put ourselves back 365 days ago where we're talking about Melvin Gordon. Wow, things could really work out there. Amir Abdullah. I mean, a lot of people were really high on him and drafting him, what ended up being far too high because he was just so inconsistent during his rookie year. So it's one thing to go back and say, maybe these guys will progress or, or you know, the situation wasn't right, or maybe it was a bad rookie class. But I think that, you know, everybody has their own guy that they really hype up and they probably take him a round or two rounds or even three rounds too high at the end of the year. We can, we, I mean, we can go back and say that with Monty Ball, but I mean, he was top 10 ADP for a reason. Everybody was really high on him because of that situation in, in Denver. But if you took the plunge on Odell Beckham and, and Mike right. Evans as rookies, you got yep. huge payoffs and on those guys. That's the first two names that Luke Hoover threw out at me. And and I get it. it. It makes sense. Again, it's a numbers game for me. I think I'm going to come out on top, but I will understandably get burned by your Todd Gurley's, your Mike Evans, and all those guys. So I I think the, the evolution in your game is just figuring out where that cutoff is as far as like what's a surefire prospect, what's an elite prospect, and what's a very good one that's going to take longer to develop. It's not easy because in the NFL, opportunity and specific roles within a scheme can significantly change the way a player performs uh, right out of the gate. But nevertheless, it's a rigid rule, and uh, it seems like you're pretty pretty adamant about following it, at least for the time being. Uh, Alshon Jeffrey didn't finish practice Wednesday due to muscle tightness. He was also held out again on Thursday. So what seemed like maybe a heat-related problem for him Wednesday might be some kind of muscle strain. Assuming it doesn't turn into something that knocks him out for a few weeks, I like Elshon Jeffrey where he's going right now. He's 12th among wide receivers in, in ADP for the NFFC drafts that we've seen so far. Kevin White, unproven as a second-year player who didn't get on the field last year due to injuries. Beyond that, they don't have a lot of quality secondary options. I mean, Zach Miller is a decent tight end, but I can't imagine he gets as many targets as Martellus Bennett was going to get. So Elshon Jeffrey, by all accounts, DJ, really should be a target monster this year. Yeah, you would think so. I mean, Kevin White, completely unproven. Yeah, he could be very good. No love for Eddie Royal. He always sneaks in there and has like two or three really solid weeks yeah, where he, he wins people money, DFS, Millie Maker. Isn't it always the same week, too? Isn't it always like, week, like week two, two or week three, three yeah. something like that? Yeah. I think when he was back with it, when he was with the Chargers, what do you have, like three touchdowns in the first week? And then he had like two in second week or something like that. And then he just dropped off the face of the mat and I think, or face of the earth. And then it was Keenan Allen kind of took over from there as he rightly should have. But I don't know. He, he, he sneaks in there. Again, I, I don't know why. <laughs> I think Jeffrey should be... Because Cutler is... He's a viable option, right? We know that he can get Jeffrey the ball, whereas we don't know if, if you're looking at a rookie quarterback, if he could get... Uh, I'm trying to think of a, who's a good situation or a good... Um, Somebody like Denver, right? So Demarius Thomas is amazing. But we don't know if Sanchez Lynch or even Trevor Simeon, who's in the mix now, um, for whatever reason, can get him the ball. We know that uh, we know that Denver's going to get the ball to Alshon Jeffrey. So yeah, I think he's one, easily one of the top wide receiver options. And again, with these injuries, we don't care. Like you said, week two, week three of the preseason is when we really, our ears start to perk up if they're still lingering that far. So Eddie Royal has five 100-yard games in his career he's been in the league since 2008 i believe and three 
of those five 100-yard games have happened in week four of a season. Did wow. it in 2008, 2010, and 2014. The 2014 one's the one in San Diego. It was 105 and two TDs. I had a three-TD game uh, with the Chargers in 2013, so that was actually a week two performance. But it always seems like these weird like early season eruptions from Eddie Royal. I don't think there's any reason to buy into that. There's probably absolutely none, to be completely honest, but... Hey, if Kevin White's hurt again, suddenly Eddie Royal is second in line for targets in what could be a really pass-heavy offense by necessity. A lot of hinges on the Bears' defense. If the Bears' defense is good, they can play more of a ball-control offense, try to be kind of slow and deliberate, uh, try to get guys like Jeremy Langford and Jordan Howard involved consistently on the ground. If their defense is porous, you could see Cutler slinging it 35 or 40 times more often than not. Right, and that's what's made Antonio Brown such a great option, or Ben Roethlisberger's, because as a team they haven't been that great, and they just have to throw the ball so often. And I think that's you know if we're looking at the Jacksonville Jaguars, shout out Nick Whalen. I see how many times we can mention him on this podcast. Uh, what made Bortles great, Allen Robinson, even Allen Hearns at the end of last season, is because they're just a bad overall team and they had to throw the ball so much. Their defense is actually better, and you wonder if they could have more of a 50-50 split or a 60-40 split where Robinson and Hearns aren't going to be having these amazing games and Bortles, Bortles isn't going to have to pass it you know, four, four out of his last five drives. Yeah, it seems to me... Oh, when you look at Jacksonville, Alan Hearns is the guy that's probably going to give back the most because a lot of the TDs he had last year are just kind of odd. Like if you expect him to run it more effectively with Chris Ivory in close, I think Alan Robinson's still going to get his. Alan Hearns might be dialing back that TD count by as many as like four or five over a full season. It really wouldn't surprise me if there was that much of a drop. Uh, no timetable yet from the Chiefs for the return of Jamal Charles coming off his second career ACL tear currently on the pup list. But I was thinking about that this morning and I, I wondered who's really the better handcuff. Is it Sharkhandrick West or is it Spencer Ware? If you have to choose one of those guys, you're trying to invest in that Kansas City backfield on the cheap. Maybe you're Charles owner just hedging against the possibility of a setback, or maybe you're just looking for the best available option and you saw what they could do running the ball without Charles last year. So you're interested in, and having a piece of the backfield if something happens to Charles, even if you don't own Charles already, which back do you like better? Is it Sharkandrick West or is it Spencer Ware? Uh, yeah, sorry for this answer, but I just I I don't think uh, I have like any justification or reasoning. They've both been in the league for two years. They were both ample backups last year when called upon. Really, I mean, we'll just have to wait and see. I think it, these are going to be a fab guy. I don't even know if you really can commit to com- like handcuffing one or the other. If you're in a super deep, deep league, the smartest play and maybe the only play is to get both of them because if you have a roster roster spot spent on West or where um, – you have Charles get hurt and then it doesn't end up being West or Ware, whichever one you have, then, you know, you lost an opportunity to grab somebody deeper that maybe could have matured into a role. And then you have your rights to him because he's on your roster, of course. So I don't know. Do you have a stronger opinion? I, I have no inclination for one or the other. I, I think if I had to choose, I would actually take Spencer Ware. I mean, that 5.6 yards per carry number was a pretty big surprise. He did that without having any runs of 20 or more yards in 72 attempts. So that's a little unusual. Uh, doesn't catch a lot of passes, but I think with Sharkandrick West, 
there, there are some concerns maybe about what he actually is as a runner. I uh, know Ware's a guy that some of the Chiefs beat writers were hyping up a little bit at the beginning of camp. He's looked pretty good so far. He's made some adjustments this offseason, so I'm going to lean on on their eyes in this case and kind of say, hey, if I'm picking one, it's Ware. But I don't, I don't disagree with your assessment that if you're looking at it, you probably want to go elsewhere with those lottery tickets for now just because of the uncertainty. Uh, they're They're not significantly better than, say, like, Kenneth Dixon as a lottery ticket who's back on the practice field for the Ravens because if Justin Forsett goes down it might not be Javorius Allen it might be the rookie Kenneth Dixon at some point later this year and by the time something happens to Charles you may have to cut one of these backups anyway because these are not the kind of players that you can hold on to all year as soon as injuries and bye weeks come all these lottery tickets you take on draft day they start to disappear from your roster Right. And, you know, I would look at age. That might be the tiebreaker. Maybe you'd think Chiefs are having a good season. They, they have these guys under contract. Maybe they give the younger guy some reps. But we're talking about Wes is 25, Ware's 24, and then Niall Davis is 24 too. So there's just, for me, there's just no distinguishing. I'll just wait and, you know, put a bunch of money on Fab if, if, uh, if Charles gets hurt. And then one of them is announced a starter. But you know what will probably happen is they'll just split carries 50-50 in all honesty. Yeah, that's that's entirely possible. It could be working in tandem again if, in fact, Charles is required to miss any time. No indication that's going to be the the case when the season begins. <laughs> We're really getting into Charles getting hurt. But uh, he's and there's no timetable for his return yet, and it is his second ACL, so it just it may be one of those things that takes a little longer than we'd like. Uh, Chiefs added Nick Foles, by the way, as a free agent. I don't think it matters. Alex Smith's the guy, unless Alex Smith gets hurt. So just keep that in mind. Uh, the whole offense will probably crater if Smith gets hurt because Smith runs Andy Reid's system pretty well. Uh, Foles, I mean, maybe could hold his own given that there could be some uh, familiarity there. And, and Reid's had success with limited, talented quarterbacks anyway. So he's done it before. But I'm uh, thinking more like A.J. Feely than anything else. What a flash in the pan Foles was that year with Philadelphia because coming into, was it last year or the year before? I mean, there was a lot of people out there really high on Nick Foles. I think Clay Link, like in most of his leagues, grabbed Foles. That did not end up working out well for him. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and he was just kind of doomed across the board. Yeah, coming off that first half season with Chip Kelly in that system, right. that sky seemed like it was the limit. Yeah, it just nothing, nothing resembling that at all. From Nick Foles a year ago. I mentioned Josh Doxson earlier, kind of in passing, random name that I brought up, but he is expected to miss uh, two or fewer weeks of camp with that Achilles injury. So that's good news. It's not going to be something that knocks him out for, for all of August or part of September. But the only thing about that is, and it fits into the conversation we were having before, uh, does he really end up missing out on valuable reps to the point where it limits how much he gets on the field? when the season begins, or does this present an actual buying opportunity to get Josh Doxson at a discount? It's tough. I mean, I've seen Desan Jackson drop so far in drafts, and obviously he's going to see the most targets, you would think, from Kirk Cousins. Um, you you add in Jordan Reed, who's also going to see a lot of targets. Pierre Garçon is going to slot in above Dotson too. So I there's just not a lot to be said about third wide receivers in general, and especially on a team that doesn't have an amazing quarterback who can spread it around like a Rodgers or a Luck or something like that. So uh, I don't even I think that I need to bring out the the rookie argument here. I just think he's a he's a third ring third string wide receiver on a team that isn't all that great at passing the ball. Yeah, they do have Jamison Crowder getting some looks in the receiving core as well. So unless they lose a receiver. 
it's easy to see where Doxon kind of gets squeezed a little bit early on in the season, but a good prospect for dynasty leagues. I know he's someone that Mario Puig's very high on. We've talked about Doxon a few times over these last couple of weeks. And the Rams have Case Keenum atop their depth chart at quarterback. Early season schedule is very tough. They open on the road against San Francisco. I believe they go back home to play Seattle, and they go like on the road to Tampa and on the road to Arizona. So one and three probably is the best case scenario for them with that first win maybe being week one against San Francisco if, if the Niners are really struggling, but could easily see this team being 0-4. I have no expectations for Jared Goff in year one. I don't like the weapons. I don't like the coaching staff. I like nothing about what the Rams are doing except for Todd Gurley on offense. So other than handing it off to an elite running back, I don't really know what Jared Goff can do. And it seems like he's set up to fail the exact same way that Sam Bradford was during his time in St. Louis. And you know what? Sheltering your quarterback, hopefully they learn a lesson. There's nothing wrong with having Case Keenum going out there, just getting crushed those first four weeks, right? And then you bring in Goff. I mean, you could set the tone for your entire career if, you, if your first four weeks are terrible. I mean, in all honesty, that could affect the rest of your career. If, if that's your first taste and your first impression, you start to doubt yourself, self-confidence. I think that's a real thing. I think it's a smart thing to let Keenum go out there, be a punching bag, bring in Goff when it's safe or safer, and just see what happens. Looking at uh, one of their news-related stories, this is purely like camp buzz, but I'm buying into it because even last year, I took the flyer on Sammy Coates in some deep leagues. He was an early season cut because there wasn't a role for him. Uh, This is a guy that has the size and speed to be a very good receiver in the NFL. Antonio Brown's going to draw a lot of the attention in Pittsburgh. Marcus Wheaton, to me, had that big game against Seattle last season, but he's not someone I'm sold on as uh, the typical number two grade receiver in an offense as high-powered as Pittsburgh. Uh, What they might do is they might put Eli Rogers in the slot. Sounds like a made-up name. It's not. It's actually on that roster. Uh, They like him as a slot guy, which puts Wheaton on the outside opposite Brown. But Sammy Coates could actually wrestle that job away from Marcus Wheaton between now and week one, or if not for the opener, maybe not that far after if Wheaton struggles. Because going into last season, Marcus Wheaton was regarded as a disappointment. And had he not put up that massive game against Seattle, especially the overall numbers from last year would probably still be pretty underwhelming. Yeah, if you look at last season, he played in six games, only had one reception for 11 yards, so he would be coming out out of nowhere to take that job. I I guess maybe you're just one year too late on DVR. Maybe, maybe, but I'm, I'm going to get him. He's cheap. So are you going to grab him as much or more than you did last year? Probably more, more lottery tickets because the only league I had him last year was their stake league auction. I got him for a buck. He's a six, It was a 16-team league where you start three receivers, so... He was the end game guy that I thought, okay, good offense. If it goes well, great. If not, I let him go. Knowing, again, rookie receivers like that especially can take a little longer. And they had Martavis Bryant then too. Not having Bryant's a big deal. Ladarius Green's been slowed down uh, so far. Hasn't really been on the field in training camp because of an injury. So I think when you consider what the Steelers need target-wise behind Antonio Brown, there's a lot there to like with a guy like Sammy Coates, and we'll see how the rest of camp goes, but yeah, I'll have a few shares. And again, it might be the same situation. Because the price is so low, I can let him go week one, week two, week three, if he's not getting those looks early on. Yeah, and this is one of those teams we were talking about, unlike the Redskins, where your third wide receiver here on Pittsburgh probably has a lot more value than the third wide receiver 
third string wide receiver. Man, that's a, I just need to stop saying that. Uh, Wood for the for the Redskins. So I mean, I'd be fine taking a flyer on him just on the fact that are the are the Steelers actually going to be that much better than they have the last couple of seasons? Who knows? Roethlisberger might have to uh, lead lead the attack in the third and fourth quarter, just like he has the last couple seasons. Yeah, I don't expect much to change with that Pittsburgh squad as far as them being very shootout prone, which bodes well. Uh, for these skill position players as a whole. I think D'Angelo Williams showed us last year there's still plenty left in the tank. If, if Le'Veon Bell's suspension is upheld, I think they're going to run the ball effectively, even in Bell's absence. Once they get Bell back, they have a guy that's arguably still a top three running back. So there's a lot to like in Pittsburgh right now. If you're investing in that offense, the Sammy Coates is just a cheap way to get some exposure. Uh, one other concept I want to get to is punting quarterback. And it's something people do pretty much every year, unless you're playing in a two quarterback league or a quarterback plus a super flex that can be a quarterback. You know, you, you can generally wait and still get pretty good production, especially in 10 and 12 team leagues. Once you get to like a 14 team league, it becomes a little bit more dicey. But yet again, you, you look at guys like Carson Palmer and Andy Dalton and Ryan Tannehill and Tyrod Taylor, and you have to wonder is there much to separate those guys? The question related to that though that i would throw out there is there might not be between palmer and one of dalton Tannehill, or tyrod taylor but figuring out which of those guys is actually underpriced makes waiting on the quarterback more challenging yeah i totally agree and so in our vegas league um i punted quarterback like i i stuck to it it was actually my because you should always be taking your kicker and team defense your last two spots. It, it just should be a hard, fast rule for most people. It's not, but I, I think it should be. But my third to last and my fourth to last spots is where I took my quarterback. So I was really waiting because for me, like the difference between Carson Palmer and Tannehill, Tyrod Taylor is indistinguishable. I, th- I think you kind of have to be a little bit crazy if you honestly think one is going to do that much better um, to warn it. I mean, Carson Palmer's 36 years old. He has a 77 average draft position opposed to Tyrod Taylor, who's 115th. And so for me, I would be completely fine if all my leagues and all my quarterbacks were Tyrod Taylor or Andy Dalton. So I was actually waiting for those two and I almost got them in Vegas and they were taken back to back right in front of me. I ended up with Tannehill, which I was not super happy about um, because I I do think Tyrod Taylor is going to give you something and, you know, finish at least in the middle of the pack for quarterbacks. And, um, you know, DVR for Vegas league last year didn't, I had Andy Dalton. I think he was my quarterback and I ended up winning that league. And did you have Andy Dalton too? No, I don't think so. Okay. I don't remember though. It's so long ago. Like I've, I forgot. I had D'Angelo Williams on that team and Darren we McFadden. Did. We both did. Yeah. AJ Green. Those those are the guys I know that were definitely on the team all year. But yeah, I I, I don't remember who my quarterback was. So for me, if you're looking at like all the top guys, you got Newton, Rogers, Luck, Wilson, Breeze, Roethlisberger. And then probably Bortles and Brady you can throw in there. After that, I, I just think it's a big old mix. And if, you, if you're going to try to convince yourself one is going to do better than the other, then go ahead and draft them early and, and I'll stash and take whoever you decide not to choose. Yeah, I think I'd rather not wait until you get down to the Dalton Tannehill bunch because Matt Ryan, I think, is a good floor guy. I don't know if you have a, much of a ceiling there. Um, but compared to, say, you know, like if you look at Philip Rivers against Blake Bortles, I'd rather have Rivers at eighty-eight, pick eighty-eight, than Bortles at pick sixty-eight. Like that, 
that's right into the hand of you can wait a little bit at quarterback and be fine. I just see a few tier breaks there. I know Jameis Winston seems like he's underpriced right now, too, just by all accounts. Putting an extra time, getting on the same page with Mike Evans this offseason, too, could be a big difference maker for him. I mean, Numbers-wise, just a very productive rookie last year, and rookie quarterbacks often take that big step after getting a year of experience. So you look at Winston, you look at Romo, who on a per-game basis can still be good. I wonder if Andy Dalton's going to miss Hugh Jackson a little bit. Tyler Eifert's health is maybe a factor there, but I don't think it's bad if you go Dalton, Tannehill, Dalton, Mariota. I like the idea of getting one of Mariota or Tyrod Taylor to pair with one of Romo and Dalton if you wait, because I think you get a little more upside in those mobile quarterbacks that you don't get from guys like Romo and Dalton. Sure. So I'm looking at Vegas League draft now and like where Philip Rivers was taken, he was taking in the eighth round and I got Bilal Powell instead of going and, and doing the whole quarterback run thing. And then after that, I got Mike Wallace, Brandon LaFell. I mean, those three guys could potentially mature into something where they'd be uh, with LaFell and Wallace. Like maybe they could be a legitimate second string option or something like that at the end of the year. I'd rather wait, nab one of those guys, see if that develops into something that actually like really does tru- truly help me other than a marginal difference between quarterbacks. And and for me, like I, I can understand you saying you'd rather have Matt Ryan over your Tannehills or Andy Dalton's. I, I think I'll roll the di- dice this season and just kind of let you know how it works out for me. I guess every season will be different, of course. All right, so who else went in that round? I, I would take Rivers over Bilal Powell every day, no exceptions. Fair enough. Unless I had a quarterback already, but I, I don't think I would take Bilal Powell in that spot. Um, but who else went in that round? What, what other skill players were, were there? Uh, Theo Riddick, CJ Procise, rookie from Seattle. Um, Julius Thomas is kind of an interesting one. Philip Dorsett, is it Laquan Treadwell? Literally all of those guys are guys I would take after Philip Rivers. After Philip Rivers? All, I would take Rivers over all of them. Justin Forsett was also in that round. So I like Forsett more than most because I think he at least begins the year with that job, and I think the Ravens running backs might catch a lot of passes, so... Maybe Forsett versus Rivers is close, but even then, I'm I'm still leaning Rivers. So Rivers was sandwiched by Carlos Williams and Tavon Austin, and that was before Carlos Williams got suspended. Right? Ta- yeah, this draft was like a month ago. Yeah, it was a while ago. Yeah. But Tavon Austin, that I guy's mean, burned me. I I don't know what to think of him because he's up and down. He does have really good individual. I think I'll maybe ride him a couple times in DFS. But in terms of drafting him, he's just hasn't been reliable in his first couple years in the league it's just like the week-to-week performances fluctuate a lot he's he's like the ideal best ball lottery ticket type guy that you throw in there and when he has a good game you get points for it and when he's quiet someone else gets played instead like that's that's the that's the construct of which i would want to use or have Tavon austin on my roster i I don't know what it is about philip rivers that people don't really want to get excited about right now i mean san diego's defense to me is going to be okay but not great you look at the numbers last year 4700 yards 29 tds uh pretty much a lock to get you at least 26 or 27 but i think low 30s remains in the mix for rivers they added travis benjamin i know they lost ladarius green but antonio gates is still kicking so you look at that with keenan allen who was having a great season before he got hurt last year uh, you wonder if this team is going to struggle to run the ball as much as they did last year. They'll probably be a little better if they're healthier on the offensive line. San Diego, as I mentioned at least once before on this podcast, 31st in terms of their run blocking out of 32 teams a year ago, according to Football Outsiders. So 
you want to know part of the reason why Melvin Gordon struggled. There wasn't much for him to work with uh, with that line in front of him. But you look at Keenan Allen as a guy that last year, DJ, was on pace for 134 catches, 1,450 yards, and 8 TDs over 16 games. And they played eight games, so you got to cut all that production in half. But what he was doing last year was really looking like the kind of guy that was essentially a true number one receiver. Yeah, definitely. Oh, he- He's kind of had a roller coaster career to begin with his rookie season. He, he gave you a thousand yards, eight, eight touchdowns. Last two years, he's just sitting in that 700 yard range with just four touchdowns in each of those seasons. So, I mean, you, you combine maybe his last two seasons and that almost equates to his rookie season. Uh, yeah, so people were like understandably incredibly high on him in 2014, and I think people are coming back around to him for sure. Uh, going back to the punting quarterback strategy, you know what the hardest part of that is just the willpower. Because you see these guys you like, and you're like, man, I could nab uh, a Philip Rivers here or something like this. And when we're talking about punting QBs, I mean, Russell Wilson dropped down. Like, if, if he's still available on the board, it's hard to pass up on a guy that you, you like to watch. It's pretty solid at QB to begin with. And so I would say more so than anything, willpower is always the hardest part. I've gone into many drafts saying punt QB, punt QB, punt QB, and then Russell Wilson drops just a little bit, and it's like, oh, I had to take him, had to do it. So part of this for me this year is looking at the players that are going between like pick 50 and pick 100 right now. And there are a lot of question marks like the the receiver pool kind of dries up around pick 75 as far as players I'm comfortable with as my top three options. And because everyone's investing so much in wide receivers overall, they're all pushed up the board quite a bit. The running backs you're getting in that 75 to 100 range are mostly guys that are in timeshares or coming off of injuries. There are some guys I like in those spots, but they're the same players a lot of other people like. So as you move into round six, round seven, I think this year more than most, I see a quarterback possibly being a better pick than some of the running backs out there. I mean, if the toss up is Philip Rivers versus Frank Gore, and I don't have a quarterback yet, and I'm looking for a flex or a second running back. I'd rather wait one more round on a running back than wait another round on a quarterback in that particular instance. Yeah, it's funny you bring up Frank Gore because in that in that scenario, yes, I would go Rivers. But if you look just a couple of spots up, a couple of spots down, we're talking Deshaun Jackson territory, Melvin Gordon, Amir Abdullah, and I think I'd take Abdullah, Gordon, and Jackson over Rivers at that spot, but not Gore. Like, understandably, not Gore. I'd go Rivers over Gore, Abdullah, and Gordon, and Jonathan Stewart and TJ Yeldon, who are all right next to him. Deshaun Jackson? On the ADP report. Uh, Deshaun Jackson's interesting because he doesn't need a lot of volume to be productive. He's done that throughout his whole career. He's over 10 yards per target last year. I think Jackson and Rivers is just, a, okay, that, that's where it becomes, what do I have at receiver so far? Do sure. I already have three, or did I wait on receiver, or take a tight end early, and need to get my third receiver? If, if, if Deshaun Jackson's going to be my third receiver with that pick, I would do it for the reason I mentioned before and that the receivers tend to dry up around this time. And then I'll, I'll go ahead and, and if I miss on Rivers, I'll be okay with that slight downgrade to whichever one of those other quarterbacks I like falls. But you know, if I already have three receivers, I'm not necessarily going to take Jackson as a fourth to forego getting a quarterback I like a little more than the others. Fair enough. Yeah, it's all circumstantial. I mean, obviously that you can say that about anything, uh, depth of league, scoring standings. And I will say it helps a lot more like Vegas League. What are touchdowns for quarterbacks? Like three points or something. Yeah, that, that so, league really deflates quarterback 
points output so i, I don't know that, that league's kind of weird i think I, yeah i guess i usually start off my season with that and then i probably get in the mindset of oh punt quarterback but really it's just because the the way we score quarterbacks is so demeaning to quarterbacks i will say i'm in this league uh like a hometown league i guess if you want to call it where there's a point bonus starting at a hundred for every 50 and the point bonus like doubles each time where if you run rotowire standings, like the top 30 starting quarterback should be the top 30 picks. It's absolutely absurd. And so in a case like that, of course, you know, like I draft four quarterbacks with my first four picks in that leagues because I just trade them off. They're so valuable, so much so more valuable than like the position players. So it's always circumstantial because uh, there's no bonuses for the position players. Like there's the quarterbacks. My buddy who sets it up is like, quarterback is the most important position on the field and so therefore I wanted to have the most fantasy points and so we always have people who come into the league for the first time and they just don't really know fantasy or don't know the scoring that well or don't look at it and get burned because you you have to take quarterback 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 and there's two you play two quarterbacks in that league too it's 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 amazing I do like two quarterback leagues or at least quarterback plus super flex I think that makes a 10 or a 12 team league a lot more competitive because then it rewards people who value the 10 to 20 range quarterbacks correctly. Whereas if you have just 10 teams in your league, everybody needs one. Some teams don't even draft two because they're just going to play the same guy every week, pick one up for the bye week. There's not really a lot to that. Someone makes a mistake at quarterback, there's quality, there are quality options available to stream each and every week because the league is too thin. So I hope more leagues out there are switching to two QBs or one plus the super flex where you can essentially make it a two QB league every week. Yeah, I should I should have specified if it's a two quarterback league, I'm never going to punt quarterback. No, you um, can't. You can't. You cannot. You, you cannot you'll do lose. That. It's, it's a dumb rule, but I, I guess I should have preferenced if you're doing three points. I mean, three points for a touchdown for a quarterback. Um, if we're going to standard standard scoring and you just have one quarterback slot, I'll still probably punt quarterback and see what happens. But two quarterbacks, forget about it. Throw that philosophy out of, out the window. Well, the, the key, too, is to just be prepared for your particular draft or auction. To do that, we do have some tools on the site, the draft software, both for the PC and the Mac, or you can get it on your phone, your iOS device. So a lot of different ways you can attack it. It's called the Draft Kit. Just search Rotowire in the App Store if you want the app version. Rotowire.com slash pod. Get a free 10-day trial of the site. You can check out everything we do. That draft software is definitely a good way to go because you plug in number of teams in your league, the roster requirements, and the scoring system, and it adjusts our projections based on your league. So be sure to uh, use that as you get ready for your drafts this season. It's going to wrap things up for the Thursday installment of the Rotowire Fantasy Football Podcast. Mario and I are back with you on Friday. Quite brutal and quite ruthless. How far would you go for love? You steal truck, bring it to me. Then you make your money. Is it dangerous? Of course it's dangerous! Nicholas Holt, Felicity Jones, with Ben Kingsley and Anthony Hopkins. All this trouble, all this pain for love. Collide in theaters Friday. Rated PG-13. Maybe inappropriate for children under 13. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. 
But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.